Welcome, everybody, to episode 19 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I am your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. Hello, hello, hello. It is most likely the start of the new year. This should have should be released at the beginning of January, which means that you are knee-deep in all of your resolutions and still, unfortunately, waist-deep in COVID. So you're probably still <laughs> stuck at home, probably still not able to leave. You might even be fully quarantining, trying to figure out what resolutions you want to break this year. And so we hope that we find you well during that endeavor. Um, we thought today that because it's the the beginning of the year, and this will most likely be the first podcast that you hear this year from us, that we could talk about fitness, health, um, the benefits, the negatives, doing it too much, uh, the differences between fitness and health, which I think is what we'll start first, um, just to kind of kick the year off well. Every, in, every time I've ever heard anyone talk about setting New Year's resolutions, like any uh, guru or any person on TV or in the media or a doctor, it's always health-related. I'm pretty sure that um, gym memberships go up like 40% at the beginning of every year. And oh, big time, decline. dude. January, January is very much like the Christmas rush for retail in, in a yeah. gym environment. January is a big, big deal if you're working at a gym. Absolutely. <laughs> and then well, by you, February, uh, so most everybody's cleared out. Yeah, so I was going to say, so you were a personal trainer for many years. Um, what was it like preparing for that? Um, annoying if you're actually working in that environment. Because um, <laughs> traditionally, the the uh, fitness industry, or at least like big chain gyms, which is where I work mostly, um, very sales focused, and the the sales push and the just uh, hyper energy around it. If you are not the type of person who really enjoys sales and who values integrity and you know little stuff like that you may not find that to be your liking um <laughs> if on the other hand you're just looking to make a bunch of money january is your month so i'm gonna take a slight little tangent and uh because i gotta ask you a question um what do you uh, what do you have against salesmen this is, i think this is the second time you've uh you've made remarks about it i i i get the impression that um the salesman types at gyms are a little less uh, scrupulous than maybe the average individual in your eyes. Just, just a hair under used car sales. Um, and I, <laughs> and I mean, that under, under, literally. so you mean, you mean like, so under, you mean like worse than, or only slightly better than only slightly better than, um, okay. and it's for the record, I'm glad you brought this up. Um, because I, I don't have anything against sales itself. It's actually um, it's a, a fascinating topic for me, just the ability to uh, influence someone's decisions uh, in my mind in a positive manner. And it's pretty easy to justify getting someone to work out so you can sell them on that. And, and that's totally fine. But it really depends on the tactics that you use. Uh, there are a tremendous amount of ethical sales uh, men and women out there mm -hmm. right now. So I'm absolutely not disputing that. And, and Bo, for as long as I've known you, I have no thoughts that you're a skeezy salesman. Um, oh, I might still flip you a little bit of shit just for funsies. But uh, <laughs> the yeah, the gym industry <clears throat> really is a is a magnet for the uh, unscrupulous salesperson. 
Um, yeah. It's not to say all gym salespeople are that way. My very best friend who I met in the gym, as a matter of fact, um, he's a man of 100% integrity and he was a very successful salesperson. Um, but he would also testify that the majority of the at least successful salespeople. Um, oh, I'm getting a phone call. Hang on one second. Let me deal with this. Do, do, do. And let me let him know that I am recording. All right, so I'll back that up. Um, yeah, there, there's no shortage of ethical salespeople, but particularly in the, the gym and fitness industry. And I think it's just a matter of the, the people in the uh, probably like the 70s and 80s that really started to build the gyms, et cetera, um, came from an unscrupulous background. So they passed that on to their sales team with enormous sales pressure um, and questionable tactics and, and all that kind of thing. Um, I'm yeah. curious if you can uh, if you can elaborate a little bit on questionable tactics. Like you, you had mentioned that it's not that difficult to get people to understand like why it would be good to come to a gym. And like, that's kind of the approach that I take. Um, even as a salesman, like what goes on in my head is this like, do you, you know, do you want to develop heart disease and diabetes when you're older? Or would you like to get in shape and feel good? Like, it's pretty simple for me. You yeah. know, you should come to the gym more and like, you should just be healthy. You know, the, 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 the evidence is overwhelming that this is a good thing to do. Grow a spine and come in every day embrace the suck <laughs> you know whatever you know i might use nicer language i might use nicer language depending on they want to i would be the kind of, work on that presentation bow i'd be the kind of person who's like do you i would just be the kind of person where everyone's like he's really rude but it got me to sign up to come into the gym <laughs> and, and that's that works on some occasions it does, that yeah. does work um it does. in terms of unscrupulous is just straight up lying to people um, and, you know, laughing about it later, I was uh, working my way up through kind of the management ranks at one point. So I went to spend a day shadowing one of these successful sales guys at a different gym. And he was just straight up telling me to lie. He says, you know, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times that I've told the other person that I was gay just to build rapport. Because um, this is downtown Seattle and, you know, the gym is... yeah. Uh, wow. A popular spot for the gay crowd. So he would just pretend yep. to be gay or just straight up lie about, oh, I'm taking this supplement. I'm taking that supplement because, of course, we sell supplements as well. So they'll uh, get people to make those purchases. Uh, and, and that type of thing was, okay, got was it, the yeah. norm. Uh, and it, 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 especially as a trainer, typically the, the, the split, as it were, inside the gym, at least the, the bigger gyms, is you have the sales staff and they are in charge of membership sales predominantly. Um, mm. They might sell a little bit of personal training as well, but mainly it's just membership, 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 membership. And these are some of the more unhealthy people that I had ever met, but they could convince people to put down their credit card. So they had a job. On the flip side, the people that were more interested in actually being personal trainers, are the type of people that really enjoy helping people and enjoy yeah. and, you know, teaching and, and things like that. So there's, there was always this, you know, one side versus the other and the, and the conflict of the unscrupulous sales versus the training staff. Um, and I, you know, I find myself as a, like, like I said, working my way up in the company, I kind of had to bridge that 
because if I'm going to be a manager, then you know, I'm going to be dealing with everybody and I'm going to have quotas I need to meet and, and stuff like that. So I had to navigate how to do that as ethically as possible and also communicate to my trainers how to ethically sell because trainers hate to sell. Trainers don't want to sell shit. They just want to train their clients. Um, and it's, it's not a, not a job you get into if you want to make any money, to be perfectly honest. They're outliers, celebrity trainers, blah, blah, of course. But the typical personal trainer is just scratching by and you do it cause it's your calling, not cause you're trying to get rich. Um, but the sales staff, yeah, they're always, you know, flexing their new cars and, you know, stuff like that. So it, it, yeah, it was one side of the house versus the other most of the time. Okay, sure. So that, that actually, uh, that's kind of what I was thinking and wondering about is that that mirrors my experience as a salesman. And um, I technically had, uh, I worked for, um, I technically worked for five different uh, people, five different bosses. Three of them ran an office together. So it was three separate locations um, over the course of about eight years and eight, nine years and um there was always a divide between the sales staff and the customer service staff, yeah. which is in what you're describing is basically the same thing. Um, How many times did you depend- have to clear up a lie that a salesperson said, and then you had to do some customer service for like, well, a salesperson said this, like, oh man, yeah, sorry, that's just not true. So it kind of depends. Um <sighs> It came up. I can't think of any specific instances on hand Um, as the when I first started, um, my initial boss was not a very scrupulous character. So I actually engaged in a good amount of uh, um, questionable sales behavior out of necessity. Um, And which was hard to deal with, but I was dealing with so much other stuff. It was kind of like I had emotional overload, so it didn't really like affect me. I just kind of like internalized it and then moved on with life. Um, But I I also wasn't making any money. And so I didn't really, if I either needed to move on or do it, that was kind of the boat I was in. And my boss was an asshole. So I was going to do it just to, just to prove him wrong. (laughs) Um, And then as I moved on, got paid more at another place and, um, that that eth- that uh, unethical, unethical behavior sort of cleaned up just naturally as I like started to work on myself and because I was aware that it was not good. Um, but in that office in particular, it would come about all the time. Usually what would happen is someone would say something like they would because I worked in the insurance industry. And so usually someone would lie about a price. They'd offer discounts that weren't available um, or uh would take off coverage and not explain that it was gone, things like that. Um, and then it would come back. They'd need forms signed for it. The forms wouldn't get sent. The customer would have the coverage put back on because that's a requirement in the state of Washington. And then um, the customer would get a larger bill, would call in and get angry. And the salesman would be not, they would not answer the calls. It was all, and the customer service would just pretend like it was someone who lived far away who made a mistake. That was kind of how it was preached. It was like, we're in a really small office local, but just pretend like, you know, you're in Texas and the person who did this was in Oklahoma. Like, you don't know who they are, but it's far away. Like, I'll get this taken care of for you. Here you go. Um, (laughs) 
yeah, like it was it, it, it's, it's very seedy. I'm very shady. Um, I don't like it at all. Um, like I said, as I got healthier, um, which is how this will tie in all of this fitness stuff, um, the, the, the unethical behavior just became harder and harder to even witness. And it's like, and then I, as I started to just do things on the nose, like be upfront and on the nose about everything and be honest, my sales increased dramatically, which was interesting. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like I said that that's kind of what I was thinking. I, I, I can see, I think that sleazy salesman tactic can, it seems like it can be sort of uh, applied really anywhere where sales can be like you, you don't oh, sure. need yeah. the the product doesn't necessarily matter at that point. It's more of what do I have to do um, to to get someone to buy this? Interestingly, you'd mentioned that um, one of the trainer the trainer you job shattered had lied about being gay to get essentially get gay clients. Yep. My first boss was actually a member of the um, I think it's the Seattle Business Alliance, the SBA. Uh, which is, um, I may be getting that wrong, but it's like the largest downtown um, LGBTQ business, uh, Seattle Business Association for, for the LG, the queer community. Okay. Um, and like I said, I may be getting the acronym wrong, but it's uh, the largest one in Seattle. It's all business, all queer business members are a part, a lot of them are a part of it. It's, it's really popular. He signed up for that so we could tap into that market, which is actually really smart. Um, but he flat out told me, he's like, I'm not gay, but they're all going to think I'm gay. So I get a lot of gay business. Yep. <laughs> it's it's he, gross, but it's effective. That's the unfortunate and it, part. <laughs> and he, he, he literally told me, he's like, when we have members from from them, they'll reach out and come in. He's like, I just, cause he's married and his wife is also an insurance agent um, for the same company. He, he actually told me, he's like, I just don't have her come in. I just, like I take, he's like, I take my, my wedding ring off and my wife doesn't come in. And I just, if they ask, I'll tell them I'm not gay. But if they don't ask, which they usually don't, I just don't say anything. And, um, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just being sleazy by omission. Like you're just not saying anything and hoping they, they like, it's kind of a fine line, you yeah. know. <laughs> for um, sure. I, I, I get signing up for the organization. Uh I don't have a problem with that personally, but it's kind of the, the reasoning behind it and then like the action afterwards. I was like, that's it kind of reminds me of that um that trainer you were talking about. It's uh um definitely a little underhanded. I'm very glad to be gone from there, but um Me too. Okay, so you had mentioned before we started the podcast, um, but what for you is the difference between uh, health and fitness? Or Yeah, um, excellent question. <clears throat> Often misunderstood by people that don't spend a lot of time in the industry. But simply, um, health is in respect to how well your body is functioning, uh, how you feel, what's your projected longevity, health. It's what most people think of when you say health and fitness. Fitness, on the other hand, is more in line with your ability to do a certain thing. So you do the things that make your body perform in such a manner, regardless of 
uh, long-term health consequences. So the extreme example one would be uh, bodybuilding. Bodybuilding is not healthy, not at the extremes. Um, the, things, the, the things that people do, and particularly the drugs that people take, um, and the, the dehydration that they go through, um, just a, a lot of the details that go into anybody that's doing serious bodybuilding, not just working out, but the serious bodybuilding to get down to those freakishly uh, low levels of body fat and these, you know, enormous muscles and, and you know, looking unnatural, stuff like that. Um, it's not healthy in, in yeah. hardly any way, <laughs> but it does fit within the definition of fitness because they physically can, you know, lift a bunch of weight um, and get their body fat to a certain degree, uh, stuff like that. So there are things you can do in pursuit of fitness that are not necessarily healthy. Um, and that the same it. thing can go for, you know, most any endeavor all the way, you know, from CrossFit, you know, CrossFitters generally are, are a very healthy group, but there's a point where you can actually work out too much. You suffer from rhabdo and that's to the point where your uh, muscles are actually breaking themselves down because you're working out so much, which is really, really hard. It's, it's either your liver or your kidneys, um, might be kidney uh, a kidney problem, but they'll actually shut down. Like you land yourself in the hospital from working out too much and too hard. Yeah. Um, What's rhabdo? Uh, I think it's rhabdomyolysis is the the term for it, and it's the the breakdown of your muscle tissue due to overuse. Uh, it's extreme. I'm people that that are uh, uh, in in potential danger of rhabdo. You're gonna know it by looking at them. Because they, they're obviously going to be able to work out all the freaking time. And they, you know, you would assume that they're super healthy. And in most aspects, they probably are. But it's just the difference between overall health and pursuing that extreme level of a given type of fitness. You know, in, in this sense, CrossFit is uh, fairly susceptible to that, to where you push it so hard that it's no longer healthy and it's actually very detrimental to your body. So. Yeah. I'm curious, have you, what you're, it sounds like you're describing Navy SEAL training. <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's the first yeah. thing that, that's the first uh, thing that comes into my head. That's a great example. Navy SEAL training will make you very, very fit, but that training is not healthy. And it's yeah. not something that you do indefinitely. You know, there's a, there's a shelf life to how hard you can push your body to those extremes. Um, but it produces a result where you're physically fit and able to perform those needed tasks. So it's not like say, oh, you should never do it. It's just understand the trade-off that if you're yes. doing a thing that will take you to the very, very tippy top of your, you know, personal physical potential, whatever that may be, um, at the very top, it's not necessarily healthy. Yeah. So that makes sense. So what would, if you were to sort of, um, let's say exclude if variance was leveled. So there wasn't a lot of, cause there's a huge amount of variance amongst people. Yep. And, and if it, let's say that perfect world, that wasn't, that didn't exist. What would a proper training regimen look like for someone? If you were to get them in the tippy top physical condition you were talking about, were there the, they have the best fitness and they're the most healthy. 
like right like the sweet spot where you would want them to work as hard as they possibly can without negative ramifications. Right. Well, <clears throat> even with that, I mean, it's the perfect world analogy doesn't quite fit because there is so much variation. We can narrow it yeah. down, of course, um, but there's still going to be considerations. The very first is what is your goal? Fit for what? What is it that you're trying to do? Are you trying to lift the heaviest possible weights a couple of times? Or are you trying to run 225 miles over the course of three days? This is very different. Or on a more, um, uh, we'll say, civilian level, not the super extreme fitness folks, but um, are you trying to lose body fat? Are you trying to gain muscle and get stronger? Uh, are you hoping to do both? Where are your genetics genetics starting out from? Is the yep. biggest challenge going to be getting the body fat off of your body? And if you just look at a weight, you're going to get stronger, so that's not a problem, or vice versa. Um, so there, there's always considerations in, in, in that way. Um, I would say a good starting point that would fit in almost every, every uh, person's situation is to get at least three days of strength training. And there's different forms of that. We can get into that a little bit, but just in general, some, some form of strength training. Um, work your muscles hard. Um, and also while you're gaining strength, you're actually gonna uh, gain bone density as well. Um, particularly if you're getting um, up in age or if you're concerned about when you get older, how you're gonna perform. Um, one of the most important things you can do is not take calcium pills because if your body doesn't have a reason to hang on to the calcium, it's just going to send it right back out. But if you yeah. do strength training, then you're putting stress on those bones to such a degree that your body's going to say, hey, we should probably build these up some if we're going to keep picking up all these heavy things. So your bone density actually gets better. Uh, over time. And and for longevity, that's going to be one of the, the most important things. Because as people get older, you know, if you fall down and break a hip, I mean, that might be Dunsville. You might be bedridden for the rest of whatever's left of your life. Versus yes. if, if you have decent bone density, then maybe it doesn't break in the first place. Or if it does, you're going to heal up a lot faster and, and just be more mobile in general. Um, so bone density is huge. Um, a general level of strength I think is a, a base requirement. You don't have to try and be Arnold Schwarzenegger, but try to be reasonably strong for your frame. And then uh, just have a, what I'll call a reasonable amount of body fat. You don't need to uh, try and have a six pack beach body if that's not something that's naturally gonna come really easy for you. Um, but just to keep your body fat within a reasonable range for your body type. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, those would be the main thing, kind of the baseline start there. And typically what's going to happen is, especially if people have never really worked out before, you, you might just get hooked on it. Same way people get hooked in jujitsu, you get hooked on going to the gym, especially if you start seeing some results like, hey, this is pretty great. This actually works. Yeah. Um, and from there, you can start making the personal decisions of, you know, what type of fitness or what type of activities that you want to pursue, whether it's, you know, running or weightlifting or a certain sport or, you know, whatever it is for you. Sure. Um, do you know if doing jujitsu 
will help create bone density, like increase bone density? Does the impacts that we take doing jujitsu have similar effects as strength training? That's a great question. I would have to hypothesize that there would be at least some small degree, but it's it's not the same type of weight-bearing exercise like doing, you know, squats and pull-ups yeah. and, and things like that. So it certainly isn't going to hurt in that sense, but it's not really going to be super effective, particularly for bone density. Now, the, the range of motion with jiu-jitsu is going to be really good for mobility and, and uh, like stabilizer muscles. Yeah, the, the functional yeah. strength. It's really good for that, provided that you stay away from injuries. I mean, sure. in, yeah. injuries are going to happen. It's, it's kind of part of jiu-jitsu. It's unfortunate. You absolutely want to minimize that as much as you can. Um, but if you can keep relatively injury-free, then in terms of functional fitness, jiu-jitsu is fantastic. Well, yeah, it's, uh, I've actually noticed, I mean, you've probably seen hundreds of videos of this too, but, or experienced it personally, but, um, how important functional strength can be in a grappling art versus just pure strength. Oh yeah. It's, it, it's fascinating to watch or, or to be able to control an opponent who's so much, who's so clearly like stronger than you, Yeah, but there's only so much range of motion with, with your strength when you're lifting weights. You can only do so many things. Yep. Um, given how your body is, the equipment you're using, or just the actual fit. Like, there's only so much range of motion you can have with 500 pounds. Exactly. Right? Yep. You can't... It's really difficult to do a 500-pound fly, but you can, might be able to... <laughs> you might be able to bench 500 pounds, but that's a completely different range of motion. Right. Okay. One goes way further back and you're getting way different muscle. You're hitting different parts of the pack and into the shoulders and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I thought that was fun to watch. I, I love watching YouTube videos where like a legitimate bodybuilder will show up and he's like, can't wipe his own ass because he's too big, you know. Yep. And then a skinny jujitsu guy just like, I mean, he's also obviously quicker and good, but it's like the strength doesn't really matter much at that point. Yeah, because it's just it's just directed at shitty it, it places where no one's actually there, so like it doesn't do much, you know. Um, anyways, I digress. Um, you'd mentioned there are different types of strength training. What are those different forms of it? Uh, break those down. Um, I mean, I don't have them specifically categorized. It's more of kind of a um, a gradient of what you want the end result to be. What I mean by okay. that is, um. At one extreme would be, say, power lifters. The, the, the only thing a power lifter is concerned with is moving the absolute largest amount of weight possible, typically in a very specific range of motion. And that's going to affect the, the type of training that you do. For example, um, the ratio of weight compared to whatever your one rep maximum is. So at any given time, your body can physically, you know, bench press X amount of pounds. If you're trying to increase that um, specifically, then you want to, this is in general, but you want to lift heavier weights for a fewer amount of times. So you might do three to five sets of, three to five repetitions where that fifth repetition is really, really tough. 
you might not be like fully maxed out, but it's pretty close to what you're going to be able to do versus someone who is um, in a more endurance oriented sport, or maybe they're a rock climber where muscle endurance is going to be a lot more important. So you don't fall off the face of a cliff. And additionally, the power to weight ratio is absolutely critical. If you're seeing a bodybuilder try to rock climb, it's hilarious because they weigh way too much to try and scale up the side of a rock compared to how strong yeah. they actually are. Um, you know, on a bench in the gym, sure, they can move a whole ton of weight, but when they have to move themselves in a certain manner, that's a different thing. So, uh, well, specifically for rock climbing, your best bet, because it's much more of a functional movement, is to actually just do more of that, do body weight type exercises. But yeah, if you're yeah. doing, say, um, soccer slash you know, European football, then your endurance is going to be really important. Your leg strength is going to be really important. Your arm strength, not so much. So you're going to focus more on that in a manner where you can perform a whole lot of repetition and have the endurance and still be able to kick really hard, uh, but also accurately um, and remain stable as you're running around the field. Um, the, you know, kind of the old rule of thumb is strength is few reps, very heavy and endurance is many more reps with a lighter weight. And there's kind of a middle ground for the, you know, the, the bodybuilding or the beach body type folks where you want maximum hypertrophy and hypertrophy hypertrophy is just the like the size of your muscles if you want your muscles to physically grow in size um, versus growing in strength the the two are not identical they're correlated but not identical um, and then there's kind of a mid-range of you know the the eight to 12 repetitions for maybe three sets that's really like, like the classic gym workout uh, which is is more focused on that hypertrophy or or beach body look. Sure, sure, sure. What do you prefer personally? Um, personally, at this point in my life, just functional. Uh, it's yeah. it's much more important for me to perform in a, a in an improved way versus how I look. Um, you know, when I was younger, looks were important, um, and uh, you know, if you want to attract the ladies, it's effective. So that's a consideration, um, but I'm, uh, I'm considerably older now. So I just want to make, you know, really, I just want to make sure I can keep rolling, um, keep doing jujitsu yeah. and, you know, the functional strength is very, very important for that. But also just in general, you know, like as I do get older, um, to be able to move around, to be able to stay mobile, um, to be able to pick myself up off the ground, which sounds like a no brainer, but as people get older and if you don't think in a, a functional way, or if you haven't really worked on your fitness throughout your life, getting up off the ground is a big deal. Um, I had, had a guy once, uh, he was, uh, talking to me about the, he read somewhere that there's a test that can predict how, um, how vulnerable, how vulnerable you're going to be as you age, um, and whether or not that's going to be a problem. And it's simply whether or not you can get up off the ground without using your hands. And I thought that was really interesting. And you know, I tried it. And I, as a jiu-jitsu player, it's not a big deal. Um, but yeah, I can yeah. see how if someone has not, you know, worked on their fitness throughout their life. Uh, yeah, you could absolutely get stuck on the ground if you can't use your hands. So. <laughs> um, the, no the number of people that I've seen 
um, come through the school who uh, kids and adults in shape, not in shape, who have a hard time just uh, doing a teeter totter from their back to like a seated open guard position. Yeah. Um, so for non jujitsu people out there, uh, lay on your back, bring your knees to your chest and try and rock yourself up into a, uh, Indian style. I don't know if it's appropriate to say that anymore, but like your cross, like crisscross applesauce, <laughs> crisscross, crisscross. There we go. I couldn't think of the other phrase that the, um, uh, crisscross seated position, right. With your legs crossed. Um, not like a Lotus position cause that's hard to do, but just with your legs crossed the number of people that I've seen that just can't do that. Is ba- it's bad. It's actually baffling, and that's not yeah. even getting all the way up. That's just sitting up from your back. Um, one of the drills I like to give the kids is to have them uh, teeter totter up into a combat base. So, uh, again, for anyone not familiar with jujitsu, that's just coming up with uh, uh, from your back and then sitting up into a Captain Morgan's pose. So one knee on the ground and one knee up. Right. Um, you just do that all in one motion. And it's really fun to watch kids fuck that up. (laughs) (laughs) It's good, though. I mean, it's that level of of body coordination and body awareness that will serve you more than being able to, you know, bench press whatever um, as you get older. Um, Well, it's fun to watch them, like, figure it out, too, like. If after a few weeks, like it's no problem. The first few weeks are really tough. Maybe if some of the kids have like a little bit of a belly, they just can't get their head over their stomach to sit up because, <laughs> you know, their bodies are all out of proportion. So like their head's too big. It's too heavy. And if they have a gut too, they can't really curl their head over their belly. And so like it's hard. And so getting up is like impossible. They're just like not built for it yet. But as they like, but as they get used to it, they get a little bit stronger. Like they're all of a sudden, like they learn how momentum works, like probably intuitively without even realizing it. And then boom, they're sitting up and then they become a lot faster. Their movements are better. Like they're way better at jujitsu. It's, it's pretty cool to watch. And then when they fall over, they don't just lay there like a fish, you know, they can get up, they can get up really easily, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Body awareness and, and body coordination is, is really, really important. Um, and actually that, that leads to, um, what is not often thought of as functional fitness or strength training, but yoga. If you get yourself into a a good yoga class that, and there's so many different flavors of yoga all the way from what I like to call Cadillac yoga, which uses a lot of supports and it's super, super gentle, um, which is, there's absolutely a place for that. Um, up to a lot more intense, you know, hot room yoga, Bikram type stuff, which, you know, you're going to sweat buckets and it is way harder than it looks, which is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I highly recommend for just about everybody find a good yoga class or even, you know, nowadays there's so much uh, good material on YouTube that you can you can just find a yoga class on YouTube and follow that. Um, so if you, yeah. if you don't oh, know yeah. where to start. If you're brand new to the thought of working out or doing any type of fitness, uh, do some yoga <clears throat> and, and do yoga that makes you sweat. Whatever level you're at, just make sure it makes you sweat pretty thoroughly uh, and grow from there. Yeah. Like uh, DDP, Diamond Dallas Page, uh, has been doing yoga for quite a while. Uh, he was an old uh, professional wrestler. Yeah, I remember yeah. him. And he was, apparently his story is he was super jacked because uh, actually 
wrestling, professional wrestling being an excellent example of something that requires a high degree of fitness, but it is not in any way healthy. <laughs> you know, they're banging the crap out of each other. Um, mm -hmm. So he was physically super jacked up. He discovered yoga, uh, changed his life dramatically. So he just started his own program. Long story short, his program has helped, you know, tons and tons of people. Um, some to the extreme of losing over a hundred pounds and getting rid of, you know, walkers and canes and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yoga, yoga is pretty awesome. It's not just for old ladies. No, 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 no. Um, do you find that things like yoga are often overlooked in the fitness industry as um, things to to, to do or to supplement uh, weightlifting training? Yeah, I, I think that, that uh, people don't understand how difficult it really is in a good way, how challenging it can be. Um, they think it's just for old ladies, which is absolutely not the case. Um, and I'll just say one word with regards to yoga, Hickson. Yes. Anybody that trains jiu-jitsu knows who Hickson Gracie is. Uh, and he was a, a phenomenal yogi. He could do some amazing things. So one of the th yeah, um, one of the things I've been uh, practicing quite a bit is uh, gymnastica natural, which is oh, is that the Ido Portal or similar to what Ido was doing? I believe so. Yeah, it's I haven't looked too much into the origins of it. It's Brazilian, and it near as I can tell, I've just been kind of following along with some videos I've seen and. Um, it's just functional yoga. So there's more movement. Okay. Um, versus like, I do, I've, I'm not super well versed in yoga, so I could just be putting my head in my ass here, but um, all the yoga that I've seen is fairly stable. Like you, you get into some stable positions and then you hold and allow for those small muscles to tighten and flex and loosen. And you're really trying to, like you said, getting those stabilizer muscles. I would. I, I think a more accurate word there would be static, because it's not that's stable. I, yeah. You're going to be that's shaking right, and I'm, sweating. Static, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, stat, so you static, stay on your mat. Yeah, static, yeah. yeah, static, static is what I mean. And um, I'm sure that there are more um, active forms of yoga where you're actually moving quite a bit more. But um, gymnastica natural is it's basically all movement. It, it, you're, but it's near as I can tell. It's it kind of mimics much more animalistic styles of movement, which are, is to say that it mimics a lot of grappling movements. Um, grappling is very animalistic in nature. How it, how you roll and move and stuff is very primal. Um, and so it, it honestly it just reminds me of a bunch of fighter. Like it, I feel like a bunch of dudes who did jujitsu in like the forties and did yoga. were like, well, let's just do a bunch of yoga and jujitsu, but let's do it light into and in synchronization. <laughs> like it just roll let's just like roll around and like put our bodies in weird positions and but let's like synchronize it so it looks cool um because when i do like I, I teach it to the in the zoom classes and because it's a lot easier to teach that than it is to do the warm-ups we typically do right because there isn't space to do like five forward rolls in a row down a mat you know yeah and yeah. so i'm teaching all these really weird movements and um one of the kids commented that it looked like i was breakdancing Cause there's like, there's a lot of leg twirls and stuff from your back and you're like spinning around and coming up into S mount and, you know, spinning around and like doing frames and posts and, you know, bringing your legs together, like doing leg circles. It's a, it's a lot of fun, but, um, 
But yeah, my experience, because I used to have a personal trainer. He was a, a close friend of mine. We went to high school together, and he went to the college with me, and uh, it was a year below me. And um, he was very nice. He didn't make me pay him. So that was... That was <laughs> <laughs> he, he did well. He, he did well enough. He's like, you don't have to worry about it. Um, but he was really big on setting up, um, helping me set up like weightlifting plans. And in in the plans that we did, there was multiple days a week where I didn't lift weights. I did other types of uh, mostly yogic style stretches, static stretches, and plyometric. Uh, type stuff like box jumps, um, mm -hmm. running sprints and, uh, um, body weight exercises and things. And he was really big on making sure that I retained functional strength at like far ends so that like my shoulders and my, and my chest and my everything in my hips in particular, my shoulders wouldn't get tight. Cause that happens so much when you just work static movement, you know, you're just pressing the bench out only, you know, um, Excuse me, but he was the only person I'd ever really met who talked about that. And so the impression I always had is that with personal trainers, it, it seemed to me to be more of like a, well, I lift weights. So this is what you need to do to be in shape, but everything else doesn't really work. And I didn't know if you had that kind of experience of everyone's kind of in their own little camp of our way is sort of the best way. Um, I, you'll definitely find that it's it's certainly not everyone, but you you will find that. Um and I definitely agree with your friend's approach. Um, oftentimes, I would suggest things like yoga for that same purpose. Um, yeah. you, you don't lift weights every single day um, unless you have a very specific reason to. And if you do, you'll know. So don't worry about it. Uh, but in general, uh, I think a common misconception is that you don't get bigger in the gym. You actually get bigger when you go home and sleep because the recovery yeah. is when you actually gain that strength. Um, and muscle size if that's what you're going for. Um, so rest and recovery is absolutely critical to any you know, fitness plan, uh, as is range of motion. Um, so whether it's the uh, gymnastic al natural or yoga or just doing some basic stretches, but maintaining your range of motion um, is going to prevent a lot of injuries. It's going to give you like literally a higher quality of life just because you can move around a whole heck of a lot better and be more comfortable while you're doing it. Um, and I'll say it again, injury prevention. <laughs> you know, tight muscles and joints are just asking to get tweaked. Yeah. Do you Are you familiar with functional range uh, conditioning? I haven't, heard that, I haven't heard that specific term. Okay. Um, I was, was curious. It, it's, uh, broadly it's, um, joint health training. It's doing a whole bunch of movements that, um, increase strength at, uh, kind of the ends of your range of motion. Right. So it's a lot of, uh, ro say like a shoulder rotations, maybe with small weight or with like stable, like a stabilizing bar or stabilizing stick to, um, increase your ability to rotate your rotate through your full range of motion versus just going in one direction or not. Right. So as an example, um, if you were to like stretch your shoulder, you'd bring your hand all the way forward in front of you, all the way up to the ceiling, palm facing you. So towards mm -hmm. your ear, and then you turn your hand palm outward and then rotate your hand all the way behind your back until your palm is still facing away at your hip. So you're rotating the entirety of your shoulder without moving, and then you come back the other direction. 
and you focus solely on using your shoulder to rotate versus uh, like your hips and your your torso. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, things like that. It'd be just like trying to do like a circle with your wrist, right? You're rotating your wrist in order to help the the, the range of motion. Yeah. And if you rotate enough, you can actually feel the the joint and the muscle stretch if you do it right. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. Um, as we've been talking about this, I, that's reminded me a lot of uh, a functional range conditioning and um, and the like. I do a little bit of that stuff for hips and shoulder training because one of the things I've noticed in jujitsu in particular is how tight shoulders and hips get. Yep. They get incredibly tight because we're so balled up all the time. That On sounds that, actually... That's It sounds kind of like the, um, I don't know, you could say like the civilian version of physical therapy because yeah. a lot of those types of movements are typically prescribed after somebody has an injury and they need to stabilize their joint. Um, but in a preventative way, if you do that ahead of time, hopefully you don't get injured in the first place. There's a guy out there called uh, Kelly Starrett, and he wrote a book, thick book, called The Supple Leopard. And he okay. yeah, is, yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's the man. I, I defer to Kelly for most anything physio, everything physio related, um, just because he's, you know, he has a doctorate. He's an actual physical therapist. Um, but he's also a, I believe he's still involved with CrossFit. Um, he's a jacked dude with immaculate posture, full range of motion, like pretty much yeah. everything you could hope for, for that type of thing. Um, and he's super smart. And the best part is he shares all his information. If you look him up on YouTube or wherever else, he's got a ton of different videos on all kinds of ways to address range of motion, why it's important, how to address it, what not to do. Um, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So for you, what's your ideal, uh, ratio of, uh, strength training versus, uh, um, stabilizing training, you know, like, a yoga style training where you're just sort of trying to loosen the muscles up, get them stabilized and do more body weight exercises and things, um, to, to allow for a little bit of rest. What do you like? Um, well, if it was the ideal, not that I do this all the time, but if it were the ideal, um, three to four days beyond four days of strength training gets to be a bit much depending how intensely I'm training, but three to four days a week is great. Um, and then either two to three days. So maybe a day off, maybe not depending on how intensely I'm doing something like yoga. Um, mm. if you're doing a more mellow form of yoga, it can, uh, work very effectively as an active rest. Um, an active rest is just, you know, not doing anything intense, but you're still doing something. And that could just be, you know, a nice walk around the block if you're not, you know, already athletic or anything. Um, but rather than sitting on the couch all day because you lifted yesterday and you're just going to rest, yeah, go, go out and get a walk or go take a hike or, or do something. Those are all considered active rest. Yeah. Um, and, and yoga can certainly fit that as well. Um, or you can kick up your yoga and, and turn it into a, a legit workout in its own right. So sure. six, yeah, ideally six to seven days with a, um, a monitored balance of intensity, meaning, you know, if I'm doing seven days for a while and I'm just, and, and my sleep's getting a little bit off or, um, my resting heart rate or rather my waking heart rate is a little bit too high, which is a really good indicator of whether or not you're overtraining, then dial it back a bit. Um, interesting. For, Do you know what that is? 
Um, I forget the the specific like the mechanics of why your heart rate gets elevated if you are undertrained, but right now I believe it's the the easiest and probably the best um, signal that you are in fact overtraining. Um, That's crazy, yeah. And important to to point out that uh, you will know if you are at the risk of overtraining, meaning you're already going after it plenty hard. More yeah. often than not. The challenge is people aren't used to doing stuff that's physically difficult. You know, they'll they'll put in two killer workouts in a week and go, oh, I don't want to overtrain. Yeah, don't worry about it. You're not going to overtrain yeah. with two days a week. <laughs> just just keep going. That that's more of a mental battle rather than physically overtraining your body. So yeah. So that's actually a great segue. Um, let's talk a bit about the the mental aspects of of fitness and health both mm -hmm. um as a former personal trainer did did you spend a lot of time talking to your clients about the mental aspects of fitness and health um yeah yeah absolutely um mainly kind of in a, a motivational context but typically the people that would hire me um, at just kind of a regular chain gym, whether it was 24 hour fitness or, or Bally total fitness, um, they're, you know, just kind of your, your regular folks, so to speak. And I point that out because the actual athletes out there have very different requirements, but for the quote unquote average person, um, and, and the person most likely to be listening to this, um, and this would apply to myself right now as well, because I, you know, I'm not training super intensely. So just the baseline normal is what uh, would be appropriate. But for most people that aren't used to that, it's just physically uncomfortable. So I spent a lot of time and it, it really, I, I tried to personalize it because different people are going to respond to different things. Like you mentioned selling to somebody by being rude. Well, that can yeah. be very effective. I was, I was yeah. rude to a number of my clients. I would, I would call them out publicly. I would start clapping real loud and kind of making a scene. And I'm like, shut up, shut up, shut up. Okay, fine, <laughs> I'll do it. And it worked. Um, and it was annoying to them, but they kept resigning and they were getting results. So yeah. that was appropriate. I made a, yeah, I made a living being an asshole for, for many years as a salesman. Yeah, it, it, it and can then I, work. And then I, you know, my, my life got a little bit better and I was happier. Um, and so I, I became nicer and was just as effective, if not more so. But yeah, I, I was a dick for a long time and people respond well to it. Anyways, continue. Sometimes it's appropriate. On the flip side, um, yes. different people, they may need a much more subtle approach. I may need to oh, tap yes. into, um, and I'm going to bring up the proverbial Mrs. Terwilliger, which is the generic gym client that we often talk about. So I say, okay, Mrs. Terwilliger, here's the deal. Um, imagine that your daughter is sliding down a cliff and you've got one hand on her arm. Are you going to pick her up or not? She's falling. Are you going to go? Are you going to let your daughter die or whatever? Mm -hmm. Something like that. And it, it will get in their head in such a way that they'll dig just a little bit deeper. Um, sure. some people are very competitive. So one of my favorite things to do would be to count down backwards in terms of place, meaning say they're doing 10 reps of whatever exercise, they get to number five and I say, okay, fifth place. They do one more and I go, okay, fourth place, third place. What's it going to be? Second place. That's the first place loser. What's it going to be? 
first place, all right, and then they finished out their set. So there, there's different tactics to, you know, get inside someone's head to get them to push a little bit farther. Always keeping in the back of my head as the trainer that their, their form is looking immaculate, they're not in a weird range of motion, and they're not going to physically hurt themselves. Because when sure. you, if you get locked in and super intense and super motivated, then you know your phone, form can go out the window, and you're just trying to get that last rep, and that's an easy way to get injured. So always Especially keep an eye tired, on that. Yeah. Exactly. So always keep yeah. an eye out on that um, and making sure their form is looking good. But kind of whatever mental tricks it takes to get them to push that much farther. Um, on the flip side, you know, a high-level athlete, you don't got to work about that at all. If anything, you might need to pull them back because they're about to injure themselves because they are so hyper motivated. But that's, sure. it, you know, that's very much a different game. It's, it's a thing. It's absolutely a thing. And I only bring that up because a lot of times the people that we look at in terms of inspiration are professional athletes. And those people are nothing like us. Okay. <laughs> they are nothing like us. Their world is different. Their bodies are different. Their minds are different. Um, they're absolutely admirable. But don't try to follow their training regime. You're just going to get hurt. Um, but we can tap into some of the same motivational strategies in an appropriate way for an average citizen, so to speak. Yeah. How do you feel about um, the, uh, or I, I should say, I should ask, have you ever heard of or seen the advertised like 30 day, like get into shape, um, exercises and stuff like a 30-day spartan exercise like all the things that uh the spartans did in 300 to get in shape like have you ever heard of those kinds of challenges before sure oh yeah uh, I, I did the uh the original body transformation challenge posted by bill phillips of muscle media magazine back in the day which for the record was the first um body transformation contest ever this is late 90s um, so yeah, very familiar with that concept and type of thing. And How it can do you be feel very, about them? I, it can be very effective. The the thing you got to understand is um, there's a, a finish line phenomena, meaning mm -hmm. if you go your 30 days or 12 weeks or whatever you set out for yourself, um, you're going to want to just stop everything. Like, okay, I made it. Especially if you stayed really, really strict to it, you did everything you need to do, then it's easy just to let it all go. And, and that happens yeah. quite a bit. Um, not to say you don't deserve a little bit of a break. If you were, you know, super immaculate with everything for 12 weeks, then, you know, take a couple of days off. No problem. But the importance of building the habits that will grow out of a challenge like that are way more important than the actual results themselves. The results can encourage those habits, but it's the habits long-term that are really going to make the difference. Because 30 days or even 12 weeks, I mean, you can get motivated for that long and they just kind of forget about it without actually building a solid habit out of it. Um, sure. 12, well, 12 weeks, 12, if, you can, if you make it through 12 weeks, then you, you have the very good seeds of a habit there. But especially like a 30 days, that's, that's not building a whole lot of habit. It sounds a lot like um, we talked a bit about diet mm -hmm. now, and and how I personally part of the reason I hate diets is um, they're focused on like carb cutting, and then people go ninety days and carb cut or carb cut calorie cut, sorry, and they hit their target weight, and then what do they do? They let themselves go because they're hungry and exhausted, 
and yep. they would like to eat, they would like to eat food. Um, I would I would say that's even more so applicable in terms of the the finish line phenomenon mm -hmm. um, with nutrition. That's sure. yeah, um, that's tough for most I people. I remember when um, I first started uh, um, first started weightlifting pretty seriously because I, I weightlifted for a while, went to the gym and stuff, and had a program with my my buddy who was a personal trainer. And then when I moved and changed gyms, um, I did it all on my own, and uh, I wanted to seriously put on weight because I've always been a very thin guy. Um, I got that you know that Irish wiry body, you know, like I just got <laughs> no muscle, hardly. Yeah, it was really hard for me to put on weight. Ectomorph, and, I can uh, relate. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do it. So I kind of looked up some different things, developed a meal plan. I was eating like 4,000 calories a day, um, high carb, high protein, no fats. So basically just a shit ton of rice and chicken breast and broccoli and eggs and blueberries. <laughs> Very familiar. Yes, sir. <laughs> yeah. And, um, a lot of oats, um, I probably, if I probably, if I th thought about it for a couple of minutes, I could probably explain or tell you everything I ate and when I ate it, because I ate the same thing every day for like three years. Um, and then I changed my diet and I've eaten the same things almost every day for the last like four years. But um, one of the things I first started doing is I'd come across this um, weightlifting regiment. It was called a, like the Spartan regiment or something. And it was a reportedly it was what Brad Pitt did before and during the filming of Fight Club to get into shape for Fight Club. Okay. And I actually chose it because Brad Pitt and I are about the same size. Okay. I think he's like an inch or two. He's like, he might be like 5'11 instead of 5'10. But in that movie, you know, he's shredded. He's absolutely just ripped. But he's like 150, 160 pounds, which is about the size I am. So I was like, okay, like we have similar body types. So it's so plausible. You're, saying you're the same as Brad Pitt. Got it. Yeah, and we're, I'm we're, we're, I'm equally as handsome as he is, as attractive as he is, and so, um, and well, I figured like similar body types, it's plausible that the kind of workouts he's doing would better work for me than if I chose someone else who was shorter and stockier or bigger and thicker. You know, um, I was like, well, let's just try it, and I could do it in like thirty minutes. I did it on my lunch break. So that was the other thing is like it was a thirty minute program. You could do it in an hour, but if you didn't pause between your sets, you could just do it in 30 minutes. And it was like 10 or 15 different exercises. You just went from just basically to different body gr muscle groups, 15 yeah, different yeah, yeah. muscle groups. And um, most of it was like fairly dynamic, explosive movements, snatches and cleans and uh, um, bicep curls and uh, different types of uh, explosive bench, high rep bench, because um, he had lean muscle mass, right? He wasn't big. Um and uh, that's actually what I found, kind of what you described, is that after, like, I did it for, like, six months instead of 30 days. I was like, this 30 isn't going to do anything. So I just did it for a very long period of time. But um, I ended up just getting fatigued because it was so hard. First off, my, my at first, my body got used to it. Mm -hmm. Like, it was really hard to get it done in 30 minutes. Like, I almost couldn't finish it. And then after, like, a, a few weeks, I could do it in, like, 20 minutes. And then after like a month or not like an additional month, like I stopped breaking a sweat. That was, that was really interesting. I just thought I stopped, like I wouldn't break a sweat doing all these exercises. And, um, but I couldn't do more weight because then I couldn't actually finish this stuff and I'd get hurt. I, I hurt my shoulder once, but I just started to get fatigued with it. And like, 
kind of burn out. And so I had to like change up my routine um, in what I did. And uh, when you had with your clients, how often did you like to change routines for them so that they didn't get stagnant in what they were doing? That was one uh, of the things I've found personally is that um, that's a really big key, at least it was for me, to hitting my goals was changing every six, eight, 12, 10 weeks, whatever, the workouts that I was doing and the muscle groups I was hitting and how I was hitting them. Yeah. Um, okay, so for my client, I'm going to break this up a little bit because there's the, um, the actual methodology that has been studied and proven to be effective, which is considered periodization. And then there is also the anti-mental fatigue of it, particularly for a client who's paying to do a workout um, where they're not trying to be a professional athlete. They just want to get in better shape and, and not hate the workout too bad. So for clients in general, I'd change it up every time. Um, there would be similar focus, like, okay, this is going to be an upper body day, lower body day, or you know, specifically back, whatever depending on the client. Um, but the actual exercises that we did, I'd change those up constantly. Um, I would hit the muscle groups in very similar ways. So we're still targeting the, the movements in a way that is consistent-ish, um, which is all it needs to be. Um, but to keep, to keep them entertained. And there's also the, there's a little bit of a business component to it where I could create a program that we could follow for 12 weeks and very little would change except, you know, maybe the weights as they get stronger, as they progress, but it's going to be boring as hell. And they're probably yes. not going to sign back up. Um, or I could get the same results, but make it a little more entertaining by switching things up more often. Um, so as a personal trainer, that's, that's a slightly different consideration. Um, but it, it could also apply with different personality types of some people absolutely needed to change all the time. And some people are a bit more analytical and they like to do very similar things and see precisely how much they changed from the previous week or month. So sure. there's a cons consideration of, of that, uh, of a personality type actual periodization in strength training, which has been studied, um, can be laid out very specifically and usually in a, about a 12 week format. Um, and that typically it, it would start with a, um, a kind of a base, more of a, a lighter weight, higher repetition type of a program. Um, and, in practice, this gets very specific for the athlete and their performance goals. But in general, you start out for the first couple, three weeks, lighter, more reps. Mm -hmm. And then you, after that period of time, you're going to step up to higher weight with fewer reps. And yes. then the last few weeks, depending on the athletic goals, may step back a little bit so that they are fresh for a specific event, whether it's a you know, tournament, tournament or a match or a fight or something. Um, or if you're peaking for a strength event specifically, then the last few weeks might be um, a lot closer to like one rep max. Um, That's what but, I did. 
Yeah, it's the type of workouts that you can't do consistently, but you build yeah. your body up to the point where you can do those for a few weeks and and get yourself as strong as you possibly can at that point in time, and then go you know perform whatever event you're doing or sport or, or whatever it is. Yeah, um, and okay. then it cycles back. So yeah, that's that's been studied in, in great detail and is quite effective. Um, the the meathead gym version of that is uh, you got to confuse the muscle. Which is ridiculous, but as an analogy, it can kind of lead you in a, a, a good direction in that um, when you're training, your body is going to adapt in a very specific way based on what it is you're doing. Um, they call it the said principle, which is spe specific adaptation to imposed demands. Meaning if all you do is bench press, you're going to be really good at bench press, but you might not be very good at flies or, or what have yeah. you. Your body is going to adapt very specifically. So if you keep doing different types of activities, then the muscles are always getting hit from slightly different angles in different ways with different energy pathways. So you're always getting some sort of a growth stimulation that in general for most people is going to be super beneficial. Um, again, we're not talking about very specific sports and, and athletic needs, um, but depending on the sport, that may still apply. Um, but in general, just for functional fitness, doing a lot of different types of movement and using different energy pathways are recommended. Yep. No, I like it. Um, that's a periodization you described. That's actually exactly what I did with my training regiments as I would have about a 12 week program. And I had, I had a, you know, I had a couple sheets of paper that I the, the box, the whole bunch of boxes on. And I wrote out my, what I was going to lift every day and what weight, mm -hmm. um, what the, num the number of reps, which days I was doing what, and it went out, you know, multiple sheets where I could do 12 weeks worth. And I would do, um, high rep, decently large number of set low weights for the first few weeks. And then I would slowly cut the reps in the, in the, in the, um, the sets down and increase the weights until I got to the last like one or two weeks. And those last one or two weeks were usually like essentially burnout weeks, right? Yep. Where I would just, I would come in and do like a, a light warm up, and then just boom, heavy weight, low reps, um, culminating usually depending on, on one or two reps max, that kind of thing. And then I would take like a week off to allow my body to recover. And then I would switch out the different, uh, types of exercises that I did to do kind of what you're talking about is, uh, hit the muscles from different angles. Yeah. Right. So a that I solid got, program and the whole, um, it worked. Yeah. Yeah. The, the muscle confusion or the, just, you know, adding variety to it. If you don't consider the mental aspect of it, of, of, you know, getting bored. And, and like I said, with, with personal training clients, some people can do better than others, but as, as far as the amount of variety that you need to stimulate continuous results, um, it's, it's on a, it's on a level of weeks or months, not every single day. Yeah. You can do the exact same workout for four weeks and that's totally fine. And then switch it up on the fifth. Yeah. That's, you know, that, that works. That counts as, as periodization. Which do you think has a greater effect on muscle growth, uh, heavy lifting, heavy weights or nutrition? Um, they are inseparable. You got to have both. Um, yeah. You need you need to lift heavy enough. If you're trying to get like actual size and strength, you need to lift pretty darn heavy, um, and you have to support that with your nutrition 
because when you're in the gym, you're actually tearing your body down um, and you're giving it a signal to regrow in a manner that is you know, bigger, stronger, faster. Um, but in order to do that, you got to give it the building blocks to accomplish that. Uh, most important being for strength is adequate protein. Um, more often than not, people eat more protein than they need, which I don't think is that big of a deal. Um, but make sure you have a good amount of protein, uh, you know, air on the side a little too much and sleep, you know, make sure you're sleeping well, make sure you get enough protein. Um, of course, keep yourself hydrated. Um, those are really the cornerstones and you can build from there. Did you prefer your customer, your, your clients, um, have a carb or a fat heavy diet? Did you deal much with fat heavy diets when you were a personal trainer? This is quite a while ago. So I don't know if yeah. the, the keto paleo style, like high fat, low carb thing was really in, in vogue at the time or. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Although ironically, so yeah, mo more often than not, it was it, low fat was the way to go. Um, however, and we, we at the, the gym I was at, we were pioneering this program. I forget the exact name of it, but what it was, was a program that took into account um, your body type um, and also had you fill out a questionnaire to get a sense of um, A, what types of things that you like dietarily and what type of things that you tolerate, meaning uh, it, would, it would give you the question of, you know, do you like this food over this food? And it might be avocados versus apples. Avocados having a lot higher fat content and apples having no fat. And, mm -hmm. you know, some people are going to be inclined to just really love avocados and some people are like, eh, it's greasy, I don't like it. Um, those types of questions give some clues as to someone's body type and their preferences, all of which leads to the nutrition plans that it printed out, um, which were in high detail. They were actually really great. Yeah, it was a five meal a day type of thing. The exact amounts were there. The calories were there. Basically, I just hand them a sheet and say, eat this, um, and, and they'd be good to go as long as they actually followed it. Um, so there, there, was a, you know, there was a potential of getting a bit more fat into the diet, uh, but at the time it was, it was still very much, you know, low fat was the way to go. Personally, I found over the years that, um, I do fine with a higher fat content. I'm, I, I like some fatty stuff. I don't go nutty with it, but I'm also, you know, I'm not afraid of butter. You know, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll use plenty of butter when I make my eggs. It's all good. Um, things like that. Uh, but that's just kind of where I've landed with myself personally, um, and still trying to keep into account, generally how many calories I'm getting in because um, the caloric density of fat is much higher where, you know, a, a gram of protein and a gram of carbohydrates are roughly four calories. A gram of fat is roughly nine calories. So mm -hmm. in a strictly caloric sense, it's a lot more dense, um, which actually is the purpose of it. Fat is, is nutritional batteries for your body. That's why it's dense. Um, if yeah. you find yourself starving and you got to burn fat, it's a very compact way to store calories. That's why it exists. Um, yeah, yeah. So I've, I've definitely shifted more to uh, including good fats in my diet versus back then. Um, it was, you know, very, very low fat um, to the point where, you know, as I was getting closer to the actual doing bodybuilding, um, you know, skin would be dry and stuff like that. And 
you know, it was, it was super low fat. And I was very similar to what you were saying. It was a whole lot of chicken breasts, whole lot of eggs. At that time, it was just egg whites, which is a travesty in my mind now because yolks have yeah. really all the good stuff. But it was egg whites because it's a clean protein, rice, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, absolutely been there, done that. I, th- I, I probably still have some diet logs somewhere. I know I've got workout logs from that time. So I could tell you what I was lifting and what I was eating 20 years ago down to the calorie. Um, so, yeah. None Did of that you, is... So- None of that is strictly necessary, and and yeah. it's something I like to point out because it you know it fit my personality type, it fit what I was doing with my life. I was I was you know working out for myself, and I was also in the personal training industry, so you know, my world was just a hundred percent gym stuff. So I was like, well, how far can I take this? I'm going to get super intense, and you know it worked out for me, but that's not necessary for everyone or frankly anyone yeah. it can be helpful if that's what you want to do but it can also be intimidating to someone that just wants to lose 20 pounds of fat and get stronger um, yes. you can simplify it greatly and still have amazing uh, results without going that far no very very true one of the things i learned uh, well, i learned quite a few things from from my uh foray into uh trying to get uh, bigger um when I started lifting, I was about a buck fifty, about fifty-five, which is actually about what I weigh now. Interestingly, <laughs> um, and around the time that I stopped my heaviest, I was one eighty-six. Okay. So I put on—I legitimately put on thirty pounds um, of mostly muscle, and um, I was pretty thick up top too. Like I didn't have any money because I was still not making huge amounts of money, but to buy really any new clothes, and so I had like all these shirts where i'd like work polos and like dress shirts and i couldn't button one of my dress shirts because my chest got the shoulders got too big i didn't own any ties at the time i, didn't, I wasn't required to wear ties and so like i used to go into work and my my first boss that my the boss was a douche um with the top two buttons undone because i couldn't get one of them buttoned I would have preferred to only have one button undone, like the one up by the neck, but I had to have the other one unbuttoned, like the douchey guys you see in movies. Um, <laughs> and, He's uh, too small. Yeah. Here, hold on one second, okay? Okay. Sorry. You're home earlier than I thought. I'm still recording, okay? Sorry about that. I had to let my girlfriend in. Cool. Um, but yeah, it was just very interesting. Um, the level of commitment that uh, can go into into that endeavor if you want it to. I, 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 yeah. I was calorie counting. I was. I had six meals a day. Um, I fasted on weekends. I, I had learned about I had learned about intermittent fasting, so I fasted basically every Saturday, um, and uh, which I I think alone, looking back on it, I think given how much food I was eating, I think alone that um, probably stopped me from having severe digestive issues because I was I was eating so much, yeah. and like throughout any given day, like I would fast while I slept because that's what you do, but like I was never not in a state of fast during during the week at all because i ate so often and that's hard on the body 
if you're just constantly giving your body food and it never has a chance to like recover from that, you know? And, um, but I, I think I did that in part because I'm part, part, I think it's my personality. Like I, I like to be able to track that sort of stuff and to see the results. But I also think that I had so little control over everything else in my life that I like had hyper control over what I could lift weight, how I could lift and yep, yep. what I tracked um, that I got pretty anal with it. And so anyone listening who's like, I just like to, like you said, I just want to lose 20 pounds and be a little bit stronger. I don't really want to go crazy with it. It's like, that's fine. I would recommend having a log of like what you want to do through the day. Like when you go to the gym, because it makes it easier to just kind of do it. Yep. If, that's the other reason I like to log everything is in like to do it consistently for multiple weeks is that I didn't want to show up every day and not know what I was going to lift or have to constantly be looking up new, um, new, uh, things to do and then have to learn how to do them properly. And then if I didn't write them down, then I wouldn't remember how much I should lift the next time I do that exercise. And so yeah, it, it was a way for me that, that actually plays into motivation as well, because it's, yeah. it's a great feeling to, you know, look at your workout log is like, okay, I'm doing dumbbell press this time. And okay. What did I do last week? Okay. I got eight reps last week and you go again, you get 10 reps, yep. you know, and, and actually see the change in the numbers to say, okay, I am getting stronger. And, and to have that proof that can be a good motivational um, force for a lot of people. No, you know, very true. And you mentioned the control issue and, uh, I just, just to, I don't know, bring it up cause it's interesting. But, um, when you work in the gyms, another thing you see are the people that work out too much. Oftentimes they have, um, a, uh, an eating disorder of some sort, whether it's anorexia or bulimia, um, and it's for that control, uh, yep. because oftentimes the, the people that end up with those uh, type of behaviors don't have any control in their life. So that the one thing that they can control is yes. I'm just not going to eat and I'm going to keep working out um, or, or whatever. But, the, you know, that is not uncommon at all to, to find that little subset of people. Um, most often women, but there are some men that take it to that extreme where, again, it's fitness, but not health for that sake of control, which it speaks to the, the mental aspect of what working out, um, can do for somebody should do for someone should not do for someone. Um, it's not strictly physical, but there are, you know, mental aspects of working out on a regular basis that are, you know, very real and very important. No, very, very true. And uh, that actually, uh, when we had decided to talk about fitness and health and stuff, that actually was exactly where my mind went first was uh, um, back to, because I was singled throughout all, pretty much all of this, um, actually, literally all of this or just about. And, um, shortly after I, uh, right before, shortly before I stopped lifting, I had moved and the gym was a little bit further away. Um, I started dating my current girlfriend and, um, my life became drastically better, um, as a result of, um, her agreeing to date me. And, um, she still continues to date me. So my life has been good for a very long time now. And, <laughs> well um, done. 
yeah, I'm very, very pleased with that. And so, um, but what went through my mind is like the control that um, at the time, I didn't really think about it as like, this is the control that I have. And I had kind of a lack of control of other things. I thought of it as, you know, I want to prove to myself that I can, you know, I can be 185 pounds. I want to prove that I can, you know, put up multiple reps of say 225 on the bench without a spotter, which I was able to do. Um, I actually, that, that was one of my prouder moments lifting is that I never was able to bench over 200 pounds when I was in high school and we were lifting all the time for football and stuff. And then I had a hard time with that. And then by myself randomly, like in my late twenties, you know, at like 26, I was able to do three sets of three sets of five at 225 without, nice. a, without a spot, without a spotter. I could just do, you know, and, um, I'd need a good rest and I'd need, um, what do they call them? The, 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 the bars in the bench rack that you put next to you. So if you drop the weight, it doesn't actually hit your chest. Yeah. Um, I would use, I would use those, uh, they use them for squatters too. So you don't, the weight doesn't land on you, but I would use those just in case because the last two reps were really hard and sometimes I failed and I didn't want to die. But, um, but you know, I could do that kind of thing. And I, I think I ended up maxing out at like two thirty-five or uh, something, um, which was crazy to me to think about just being able to throw on like 215 and just do a rep without a warm up. It's like I've never been able to do shit like that. Um, <laughs> but um, but it was just interesting to me that uh, looking back on it, like the the level of control that I needed to have, I think, because work life, even getting a new job and making a little bit more money and um, even still like just my personal life was I was just in shambles. I had like no idea like that it was and um i hear so much that you need to you need to do physical activity because it's good for your body and it's good for your mental health and i actually believe that those things are true um but as someone who's lived through it it isn't enough like um, a big thing for me is physical activity but it's also mental like stimulation i look mm -hmm. i look those things are interchangeable to me like I, they're they're indistinguishable in my eyes, which I think is partly why I gravitate towards jujitsu, um, um, as opposed to some other martial arts in particular, but uh, maybe some other grappling arts is that most grappling arts are very mental and very physical, but jujitsu is probably the laziest of them. <laughs> so you can, you can, you can do it the longest without getting hurt, really. Like very few wrestlers, I think we talked about this before, but very few wrestlers wrestle us after high school because their body breaks down. And as you get older, it's harder to do have high level wrestling yeah. and judo is the same way. Like it's really hard to do non-competitive judo in your forties. Yep. Like, or to, 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 sorry to do competitive judo in your forties. Right. It's like it, because it's so violent and that's by nature, that's how the rules work. And you keep Sambo's getting smacked the, with the planet. <laughs> you can't only take yeah, that like, for so long. And like Sambo's the same way, like especially combat Sambo, because there's, kicks and punches involved too but um they're so much more violent than jujitsu uh, in that regard like the physicality of it um is uh much more intense and so um but I, the mental aspects of all of those arts are so intense and um i, I kind of realized that as i you know we've talked a lot about our my, my my personal transformation in life and how it integrated that is with why I'm doing this podcast and all the other things we've talked about with personal experience and growth and in development for the record and, um, Bo, for the record yeah yeah we we are doing this podcast 
We, sorry, yeah. So I said Love just you, me. Buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so I meant like just why I'm doing it like personally. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Um, but uh, but fair enough. You're also a part of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what I realized is like how much how important it is to not only be physically active but to also uh, mentally challenge yourself right yeah um, yeah whether that's mentally challenging yourself with physical things such as um uh learning new things physically like i said jujitsu is a great example of that the, the things that we have to learn um keep people so mentally engaged that it's growth there is very easy to achieve it's also easy to get frustrated but um or lifting weights and staying physically active and then challenging yourself with knowledge like learning other other things outside of a, a physical activity um you know you and i both read quite a bit and so that's that's a good example of trying to just learn new things learn about new cultures um you know, new ideologies, old yeah. ideologies, history, what, whatever the case may be. You know, I, like I read a lot about communism as an example, and it's extremely stimulating to understand um, how democracies and um, autocracies and things like that function. But anyways, yeah, that, that's kind of where my mind went is that uh, that mental aspect of what as well and uh, led me to reflect a bit on, um, you know, how how at least for me, just working out wasn't enough. And so anyone who's listening, who's like, you know, I, I'm in a, I'm in a shitty place. I want to, I want to be better. I don't like where I am. I want to, I want to grow. I want to, you know, how do I start or whatever? Um, start by doing something physical, but you have to mentally challenge yourself. Um, I really like abstract ideas. And so I gravitate towards metaphysical abstract ideas and things. Not everyone is like that. In fact, I probably am like in the top like five, fifth percentile or it's like the 95th percentile of people who love abstract ideas. Like I just love them. That's what excites me. So everyone else is not like that. <laughs> so you don't need to do cr look at the crazy things that I do and talk about. But you can you can challenge yourself by reading some more books every year. You can challenge yourself by maybe um, trying to learn a foreign language or teach yourself a new skill, learn how to computer code, learn a, um, redo some high school math. I don't, it doesn't, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, but mentally challenge yourself as well so that you don't rely just on um, trying to, because your brain's a muscle, right? You were talking a lot about like, uh, I forget the acronym you used, but, um, you know, confusing your muscles, right? Oh, yeah. The said principle. Yeah. So it's that notion of creating different synapses in your brain that do create different connectivities with different things. That's what learning really is. And that's how you at least for me, that's how I visualize, you know, exercising my brain and making it stronger is by tr consistently trying to find new ways to challenge my brain and grow it just like I would do physically. Right. I don't really look at them any differently. Um, I would I would say to generalize, I agree with all of that. I would generalize um, just for uh, useful thoughts for any listeners. Um, when it comes to physical, endorphins are nature's antidepressants. Yes. So do something physically difficult, however that works out for you. But the there are measurable mental benefits from that. So that's huge. And then in terms of learning... Um, just find your curiosity. You know, curiosity is one of the greatest yes. gifts that anyone can have. 
Um, there's a there's a quote that Einstein said regarding curiosity. I don't remember the exact quote, but essentially he was you know saying that curiosity is more valuable than knowledge. Um, find whatever it is that you're curious about and seek that out. So rather than, okay, I'm going to go learn algebra, that may or may not be interesting for you. Um, but if you find the thing that gives you that mental spark, then dive into that and pursue it and try and learn as much as you can about it. And, and that would be the type of mental growth that mm -hmm. just is going to help in general. So you don't have to learn all the same things, but find what it is that when you are looking into it in, in whatever way, whether it's books or videos or whatever, um, that you can lose time. You know, you blink and all oh, crap, an hour's gone by as I've been, you know, reading this book um, or, you know, learning this electronics project or learning about new cultures or whatever it is. Um, chase after that. You know, that's that's yes. another important thing to, to feed that curiosity, whatever it is for you. Um, the mental benefits of that are huge. And I would I would venture to say that that is essential to leaving to, to leading a well-rounded life. So fit that in as yes. best you can. You know, if you're busy, if you're working a ton of hours, you may not have all that much time, but find ways to sneak it in, you know, look into podcasts and audiobooks, or, um, you know, whatever media is, is palatable and accessible for you. Um, and make sure you get at least some of that into your life on a regular basis. No, very, very true. And, um, I can't stress enough the importance of doing both of those things is, consistently testing your body and your mind together, right? Yep. Um, so I have a closing thought. Um, we're coming up on 90 minutes here. Um, so I, I look, I literally Googled what are the benefits of exercise? Okay. Straight up Google. Um, and then I Googled um, comorbidities and COVID-19, separate Google searches. Okay. And I, I pulled up, um, interestingly, one of the first links in the, in the COVID search was, uh, an actual, um, a published paper that was written called COVID and comorbidities, a systematic review and meta-analysis. And I won't read the whole abstract cause it's, it's moderately long and there's a lot of words that I don't understand in it, but the whole point was to look at the, um, the relationship between getting COVID, getting sick, how sick, death, and comorbidities. And um, so I figured since we're in, we're in COVID lockdown at the moment, people are stuck inside. Um, I read a study, study recently that showed that uh, three times as many people after uh, right now are um, show severe signs of depression versus prior to April of 2020. Um, yep. The study was fairly small, but um, it was only like 1,500 people. But um, still, even if it's only half that, that's still quite a bit more people that show severe signs of depression. Uh, and people are hurting. They're drinking more. Domestic abuse is up. Um, there's been a huge increase in the rate of, uh, of um, child hospitalization, emergency room hospitalizations for children as a result of uh, depression. And so, mm. um, yeah, it, it, things are, you know, they're pretty bad. 
And so um, it can be hard to get out and go to the gym because gyms are closed. And so like, what do you do to stay active and how important is it? So I'm going to read the, um, the first answer that came up when I Googled what are the benefits of exercise. Um, health benefits of exercise um, can help protect you from heart disease and stroke, high blood pressure, which is the hypertension, um, non-insulin dependent diabetes, obesity, back pain, osteoporosis, um, improve your mood, better manage stress, which would help with depression. So we have a couple of bad issues that come with your body. Now, here are the more common comorbidities. Um, let me find them here. Hypertension was very prevalent in severe cases, about half the cases it looks like compared to the, uh, uh, most other issues. Um, there was also very high for fatal cases. Hypertension is, uh, um, high, uh, um, high blood pressure, um, respiratory issues. So heart issues and breathing issues, um, Diabetes was also extremely prevalent among uh, fatal cases in particular. So these are the three um, main issues, all of which are in some way or shape or form um, mitigated by exercise. Yep. Um, the other big issue that it, it didn't showcase in this, at least in the abstract that I'm reading, is the correlation between vitamin D deficiency and COVID. And one of the benefits of exercise is it can it can help increase your vitamin D if you're outside um, yes. because of sun because of sun exposure, um, and so um, I thought it was interesting that uh, they weren't quite a, an overall match, but there was very clear overlap between simple exercise and um, the comorbidities that are causing um, people the most problems with COVID. And so um, it's tough to get out. It's, I, we, I get that it's, I, I had um, one of our students tell me, uh, one of our kids' students tell me that uh, um, they were uh, all Zoomed out. They, they'd use Zoom all day and they didn't want to do Zoom classes because they were Zoomed out. And it got me thinking, it's like, well, at least you're moving and you're not just sitting there and doing nothing. If you're doing a Zoom class with me, you're not sitting there, you're moving around the whole time. And so the point would be that doing something, at least getting some movement is going to help at least in, even in a small way to, um, you know, decrease the, the chances that you'll have these issues that with COVID can be fatal. Right. And so, you know, keep for those people out there who are struggling, keep your heads up and just find a way to, to get some exercise, even if it's only for 20, 30 minutes a day, like what, what's the recommended amount of exercise per week for the average person? It's like 150 minutes a week. Yep. So it's like 20 minutes a day. Like it's not a lot of activity, you know, you could, walk up to the local grocery store and back. You don't have to go inside, just walk up and back, you know? Um, and uh, so, so, yeah, I, I thought that was very uh, interesting and um, tailored to kind of what we're dealing with right now as a culture is uh, um, the very clear benefits that just doing some amount of uh, of exercise can really have a, a large effect on, on your overall health, especially if you end up catching COVID, right? It's like running 20 minutes a day for the next few weeks, you catch COVID. That could be the difference between actually having severe issues or none at all being asymptomatic. You just, yeah. I mean, it could be that simple. And um, not to mention 
actually catching diabetes, getting diabetes over time and having heart issues and high blood pressure, all of which are common with diabetes. And so um, it, it's just good, even if you don't have a lot of time to just really do what you can do to do anything like um, Jordan Peterson has this, uh, um, this saying, he's like, make your bed in the morning. Right. Um, yep. And a lot of people have sayings like that. And his is kind of funny. He's always like, you know, people always think it's embarrassing to that. That's their goal for the day is to make their bed. Like that's too low of a goal. And it's like, you should never feel like any goal is too beneath you because if it is, you'll never get anything done because it's like, I'm too good to make my bed. It's like, are you, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, you're having trouble. So are you really better than making your bed? Right. Um, you know, get your house in order. And uh, so I, I would say something similar to people who are like, I, I don't, you know, 20 minutes of exercise, that's not going to do anything. It's like, well, it, it literally is actually better than nothing. And if you can't do 20 minutes, what makes you think you can do an hour, right? Like set the bar low and start from there. There's nothing, yeah. it's, it's not, it's not embarrassing. Like at worst, it's an ego hit. And that's actually good for you. So <laughs> it's good for people, you know, to, to have that hit. And then you can kind of grow from there. <laughs> Well, and the good news is if you're if you're fully deconditioned, um, the first two to four weeks, you're going to see results really fast. Yes, um, there's physiological reasons for that as far as neural adaptation and stuff. But in general, um, you, you're going to see the most um, dramatic results in the early part of the workouts, um, which is good because that kind of keeps the motivation going. Later on, you may have to deal with plateaus and whatever, but typically by that point, you've already built the habits and you're in good shape. Um, right, right. So uh, let me let me see if I can come up with a couple of takeaways for people who if yeah, you don't want to get super intense in this. Um, and the first thing I would do, um, and I'm going to steal this from Body for Life by Bill Phillips back in the day, um, and it was a concept he called palm portions. And all that means is if you look at your hand, just the palm area, not counting the fingers or thumb, um, that's what you're going to use to kind of just determine uh, the sizes of your portions. And what you're going to do is you're going to have one portion of a lean meat, um, whether it's uh, you know chicken or steak or you know whatever kind of meat you like fish is great, but roughly the size of your palm, put that on your plate. You're going to have another portion about that same size of your palm of a good carbohydrate. So we're not going to go into, you know, keto or any of that crap. Um, but a, hey, you know, it's it could crap. be, <laughs> we're going to, uh, you know, whether it's rice, um, or, you know, even, even pasta for keeping this as super simple as possible. You will see some results with some pasta. Um, but some sort of carbohydrate, complex carbohydrate oats would work in and then the last would be a portion of vegetables, that same mm -hmm. palm size. So the three things on your plate, you got a protein, you got a carbohydrate, and you got some vegetables. Um, and that's it. That's your meal. And the nice thing about that is bigger people have bigger palms, so it scales. And you don't have to look up calorie content for a, some type of food that you don't know what's in it. or It just makes it really, really super simple and is generally a really good place to start. So palm portions for your meals. Um, and if you do that for three meals a day, um, you can fit a couple of healthy snacks in there as well. If you're totally starving, that's okay. Um, but three meals at palm portions a day, start with that. Super mm -hmm. easy. 
And then for exercise, look for something that is either no equipment or low equipment. So you don't have to worry about showing up to the gym with all the squat racks and dumbbell racks and, and all that stuff. Rather, you can start with absolutely nothing. Get up on YouTube and look for a uh, body weight exercise. Tons of stuff out there. We don't know, don't need anything. Just using your body weight. That's fantastic. We can step it up a notch to bands and TRX, which is a, yep. a, it's a very simple device. The TRX is, and you can, it's basically just a strap with a couple of handles and you can attach it to a door frame. You can attach it to something overhead. You can attach it to a tree branch, all kinds of stuff. And there's a tremendous amount of really good exercises you can do with that. Again, it's body weight, but you, you can do a little bit more when you got some handles to work with. So that's fantastic. And that thing will ball up into a tiny little thing that you could, you could fit in your glove box or your car. Um, it's very small. It's great. Um, and then, or bands, the rubber bands. Um, those are awesome too. Tons of workouts available online. Um, I do resistance sure. bands personally. And I, yeah. um, it's, it's fucking great. Yeah. Just, and I mean, they're hard. They're hard. Oh yeah. Um, be, be conscious of who that you are watching and, and mm -hmm. you, to an extent you can let your intuition guide you. If, if someone's raising flags and you think this guy might be full of shit or this gal might be full of shit and it just doesn't seem legit, try somebody else. But if someone can explain the form in great detail and it really sounds like they know what they're talking about, you should be okay. Um, yep. So form is very important. Have good form. And then the final step up from that would be uh, my personal favorite is kettlebells. Um, kettlebells are an absolutely outstanding workout. Um, they're very good for functional fitness and relatively speaking, they're small. You can get one kettlebell, you know, like a 25 or a 35 pound kettlebell, and that's all you really need. Um, and again, same old, same old, tons of videos online. Um, you can look up, uh, what's Pavel's last name? Pavel. The Russian. I don't. Yeah, Pavel the Russian, that'll actually probably get you there on Google. Um, but he is typically credited with bringing uh, the kettlebell methodology to the United States, so he's very knowledgeable. But there's a ton of people that are giving good information on kettlebells. Um, and that will give, you know, that that's going to build a, uh, a high degree of functional strength as well. You can get a real ass-kicking workout in just 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, um, and if you Pavel's buy a kettlebell... What's that? Pavel's last, Pavel's last name is uh, Satsulin. Satsulin, that's right. Pavel Satsulin. Yeah. Uh, just look up Pavel Kettlebell, you'll, you'll find him. Um, but, uh, you know, if you, if you invest in the kettlebell, and it's basically, it's solid iron with a handle, so you're paying for some, a whole bunch of raw iron. So they're, they're a little pricey, but they, you'll hand them down to your grandkids. Like, you can't break mm -hmm. a kettlebell. You're never going to wear it out. Once you have it, yep, you yep. have it for life. So that's, that's a, a one-and-done kind of purchase. Um, and yeah, that's that's really all you need. You know, all of that is small and portable. You can throw it in your car and do a workout in the park if you want to work out outside, which is recommended. Um, and yeah, just do that 30 minutes, three times a week. So palm portions, 30 minutes, three times a week. Start there. See what happens. And if you don't like that crap, you can just Google keto and do that instead. 
hey, you know, try keto. If it works for you, it works for you. That's fantastic. Oh, yeah. um, it's not for everybody, but it does well for some no, people. It's very, yeah. No, very, very yeah. true. Um, one of the things that I would add to, to what you were saying, because I, I actually like a lot of what you said there, um, is don't get stuck on one way of doing things be it, you know, lifting weights a certain way or eating certain types of foods, um, try different things because everyone's body's different. And so um, yeah. just like kind of how you, Dan, were saying, you know, be on the lookout for who you're learning this stuff from. If you go online, it's the same thing with um, with the foods you're eating too. Like every body is different. And so like some people respond greatly to vegetarian or even vegan style diets without any actual meat. And I can't do it. Like I am yeah. my, my, my diet's almost entirely meat. Um, it's, it's like right now it's like 70% meat. And so, um, and I, I haven't felt better in years and it every, so there's a wide range of things out there for food and there's a wide range of things out there for how to lift. I, I don't have weights anymore. So I use resistance bands because they're easier to carry. They're cheap, way cheaper. And they have different, um, different uh, resistance strengths. And so like they're more than enough. Like I can't even use the heavy band that I have. It's too strong, but, um, that's just more of a necessity, but, um, try different things and see what your body likes. Right. Um, see what your if you can eat a lot of dairy, include a lot of dairy in your, in your diet. Maybe that's what you need. Fat has all the requirements your body is going to need compared to, to carbohydrates or vice versa. You just got to find the right foods that have those minerals and vitamins and amino acids and things. And so just do your due diligence. And, um, you know, obviously I'm just giving damn crap about, uh, portions of carbs, but, uh, cause I, I don't really eat carbs, but, um, don't, don't get stuck on one way of doing things because no, no way is actually, in a nutshell, correct. It's going to, there's so much variance amongst humans that, you know, there might, there might be an argument that, uh, we have yet to evolve and should probably eat more like animal-based products because our ancestors yeah. almost exclusively ate, yep. you know, nose to tail, the animal, you know, they, they ate the bone marrow and all the organs and, um, you know, those kinds of things along with whatever food they were able to harvest, um, if they grew crops, but, um, you know, for the most part, yeah. you're going to know if your body feels like, like shit, stop eating the food. You know, if, if it hurts to poop, you got to figure something out, like stop eating some kind of foods. Like there's something that you're eating that's fucking with you and you need to cut it out of your diet. Right. It's cause it's good. It's not good. Like you're going to be able to tell if you constantly wake up stuffy and bloated and nauseous, like cut out a couple of cut out of food for a couple of days and see what happens. And then if that doesn't work, cut out another food. Like it takes work to figure this stuff out. Just like it takes work to lift weights and get strong. Like it doesn't happen overnight. You got to, um, but that was one of the big things I learned is that when I looked into how to gain weight, I was told so frequently that there was only like one way you could gain weight. Like you had to eat certain foods, otherwise it wouldn't work. And it worked for me. But as I've done my foray into like, making my body feel better. I've realized that like we talked about, I think a couple podcasts ago, like your body does great with carbs. You have no problem eating good, decent amounts of carbs and you're, you, you got a high enough metabolism that also yeah. processes those <clears throat> foods. I have a very high metabolism. I just don't process them as well. And so like, so I, my, my body, I, I get major dysfunctions in the body when I have, have too many carbs and it's, I looking back on it now, like 
I, I think about how my sure, body yeah. used to feel and I'm like, oh, that's because I had so much pasta and rice all the time. Like that has to be it because I ate a lot of pasta and rice and white bread and my all these pains and stuff I'll get from having <laughs> a, a cheat day or the same pains that I had every day for like three years. And it's like, you know, it's like very clear to me that whatever it was in the food just wasn't set. Well, I don't know what it was, but um, maybe it was gluten for all I know. I have no idea, but um, I don't think that's the case. But there's something that was just okay. fucking with me and my body just doesn't like to break down. And so I don't need it anymore. I just remove it. And um, so don't be afraid to try those new things. Just eat enough. Don't go around and yeah. be starving all day, too. That's the other big thing is don't starve. Yep. If anything, if, if this all sounds no. overwhelming, like if you're hungry, eat a little just bit. Remember of this: it's not so much you know. what you do; it's that you do. Do something, do it consistently. That's going to be yes. the biggest key. If you decide on a plan, uh, stick with it for a while, see how it's working, tweak accordingly. That's really it. Yep. Yes. Once you start the habit, then you can adjust how you do things and what you do, right? Um, it's it, it's it's the habit that's going to be the the big issue, and um, that's right. <laughs> it's simple. All right, happy New Year, everybody! So everyone get after it. Happy New Year. <laughs> good right. good luck. Take care. Good luck with twenty twenty one, everyone. <laughs>